Alright guys, we're finally back. Finally, finally. We're going to be taking a quick break from the uh, latent flower stuff. And what we're going to be doing here is uh, Drew, from the provisionist perspective, has been waiting very patiently for me to do what I said I would do. And that is to make a response to an episode he did where he covered a Twitter dis uh, thread that we, we had on the topic of determinism. Now, Drew made his episode because he felt that it was an excellent example how internet Calvinists like myself, we make strong assertions and make strong claims without much quote-unquote evidence. Now, this is where I want to set the context of this entire thread, not just the thread, but this episode, and point out that this is probably my fault, but when he asked me for evidence of determinism, my mind jumped with that word evidence. It jumped sort of out into the world, that scientific point out into the world of cause and effect type of evidence. And so my overall, my overall attitude in this thread was, well, Drew, that's the only thing I can sort of point at is cause and effect in this universe. And you'll see that play out a lot here. But I want to make it clear that, especially after all the episodes I've done, right, pointing out into the world of cause and effect is not the only evidence that I would have for, for you know, determinism. We've got the biblical, we've got, as Drew's going to say, where he's going to talk about philosophical or all these types of quote-unquote evidence. Certainly believe that I have those types of things. Um, even though my mind was unfortunately locked in a very scientific cause and effect type of type of mode as we go through this, but that's why in this in this episode I'm going to expound a little bit. We're going to be talking about God's relationship to that word that I use, that reality, that cause and effect reality, which is you can't can't avoid that, right? You, you can talk all day long about what's going on in this reality, but until you give an account for why it's going on ultimately and and address God's relationship to what's going on then you might not actually be making the points that you think you'd be making, as you'll, as you'll see that I'll point out. But I do want to say that I'm not a professional logician, and uh, Drew probably has studied a lot more logic than I have, and so he's going to make a lot of points about I've got the burden of proof here, or this or that, and so I fully concede that I might be breaking rules, so to speak, as, the, as this goes along. But, um, but I just want to say uh, to Drew, uh, thank you for being very respectful in your response. Um, I know when I hit record and I start ranting, I'm going to be sounding a little stern, and uh, I'm definitely not going to sound as nice as you did, but please don't take that personally. Uh, I beg you to not misunderstand that. I just, uh, sometimes I get, you know, just start rambling, and uh, especially I have a deeper voice, so it can come off a little unfriendly, but I don't mean it that way, okay? And I also want to say to Drew very quickly, uh, this ended up being way longer than I thought. I went through almost most of your episode and uh, I don't expect you to make uh, the same type of response. Please, by all means, cut this up. Take small, important clips, especially, I would say, uh, the main syllogism I go over here and maybe one of the one or two of the smaller ones. You know, just, just cut it up however you want. There's not much to take out of context here. And, you know, I, I, I give you full permission to do that and just to make a, a reasonably sized episode out of that. I apologize. This ended up being almost two hours. I was really trying to stick with those shorter episodes for a while. But then again, I haven't put one out in like three months. So this is what you guys are stuck with. So with that said, let's go ahead and uh, jump into more determinism stuff. Hope it's not getting too old for you guys, but it's my favorite topic. So here we go. So this all started with, uh, with uh, somebody by the name of Jim saying, uh, I believe Hawking said that the brain is just a naturally determined outcome. Well, then he can't quote unquote trust that thought as true. He could think no other thought. He could not trust his reasoning because he's bound by determinism to only see what he had been determined to see and believe. To which I responded, I would argue the exact opposite. If determinism were false, you could not think in a straight line. Instead of one thought leading to the next, thoughts would be random and occur for no reason. You can't trust random thoughts, only determined ones. Now I stand by that, and this is where Drew chimes in. 
with the following. So he said, so he said here, you can't trust random thoughts, only determined ones. So then I chimed in here. I said, this sounds like you think libertarianism is false because it is scary and uncertain. Libertarianism is. No, that's definitely not what I meant. Uh, as I go on to say here in the tweet, I said that something can be scary and uncertain even while not being random. And I would strongly argue against conflating those two things. Right. So all, I said what I meant. And that is that you can't trust random thoughts. And I would just ask if you, Drew didn't agree with that, but I'm going to assume that he, he would. If, if randomness were an actual thing, then you, then you couldn't trust your thoughts, right? Because there would be no connection. There'd be no reason behind why you're having them. Which is why I would suggest that it's only in a deterministic worldview where things are happening for a reason. That there's justifications and explanations and your thought process and your deliberation is you know, a connected line of causality. Where you could, quote unquote, trust the thoughts that you're having. I mean, even the very definition of trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability or strength of someone or something. So reliability is inherent in the idea of trust. And there's nothing reliable about randomness if it were to be true, which, of course, I would say that it isn't. And I would hope that Drew would say what it isn't, that it isn't. Um, but I would just ask, Drew, do you recognize that there's a difference between scary and uncertain and random? Right. Scary and uncertain can simply be the result of a lack of information. But not knowing the information doesn't mean that it's not there. So I said, this sounds like you think libertarianism is false because it's scary and uncertain. Because he was saying you can't trust your thoughts unless they are determined. And it may very well be that I misunderstood him on some of this due to that very first tweet that he was responding to. So we might have been talking past one another a little bit. But And that's entirely possible. I, I definitely wasn't saying that uh, libertarian free will is false because it would be scary and uncertain. I just said that random thoughts can't be trusted by the definition of trust, as I've shown. And so I tacked on to the end of that a little bit of a slap back his way, which, you know, this is Twitter. And I said, well, I can easily say that sounds like you think determinism is false because it would be scary if something other than you was in ultimate control of you. Right. Just sort of throwing that idea, that idea back at him. And so he says. And then I said, I made no such conflation. The difference is that I didn't make that claim. I didn't make the claim that it was that determinism is scary and therefore false. You did claim. You wouldn't be able to trust your own decision making if determinism was true. I didn't say determ if, and I should have said if determinism were not true. Hopefully, he understood that when I said this here. So yeah, I got that. But you know, and this is the thing, Drew, is you like to play this game, this game a lot. It's not that it's a hundred percent wrong to do because you're right. When somebody makes a claim, they should be able to back it up. But again, this is this is also Twitter, right? So we're having a discussion, and if I say something and you disagree with it, then by disagreeing with it, you're also actually making a claim as well. In in a lot of cases, I think you recognize that. And so, I mean, I mean, I would also say that up here, I didn't claim what you thought I claimed, right? And you, you already admit, maybe you misunderstood me, right? So I didn't claim that, you know, free will's, libertarian free will is false because it's scary or uncertain. Um, I just said you can't trust random thoughts, which I, I again, think would you, that you would agree with. So, I mean, uh, I, I would definitely wonder if you think that randomness is actually a thing or not. Um, because this is going to come out in this line of tweets, and I, I, I think I've said it in my episodes before, and I'm, I'm happy to say it loud and clear again, in my view, in my opinion, things are either determined or they're random, right? I think Drew's going to point this out and say, no, that's a false dichotomy. We have this other thing called self-determinism, and we're about to, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But to start this out, I want to make it very clear that in a finite reality, a reality that is contingent upon God and God's power for its existence at all moments, right? We are not eternal. We are not self-sustained. We are not self-powered. And I would say we're not self-determined. Nothing other than God is. So I would say that you've got two logical options. Either determinism, 
or randomness. Okay, Either everything happens for a reason or there's randomness. I, I suppose you might posit a mixture of both. Um, but again, those are the only two logical options that I, that I see that are available. But I definitely recognize, okay, I do recognize, that's, again, that's my view. I recognize that your view is not uh, putting forth randomness. In fact, in my very first episode, which I think is called uh, Free Will is Logically Impossible for Us, I tried very hard to be fair to the libertarian free will side by pointing out that they have a quote-unquote third option that they're going to adopt and that they are not actually believing that there's such a thing as randomness, right? So I'm not saying that you think your thoughts are random. But I would say that a denial of determinism entails, of logical necessity, the only other option, which would be randomness, which we're about to, again, get into. Well, let's go ahead and try to keep this going. So, and then I went on to say, I don't believe determinism is true because the Bible doesn't teach it. And as such, I have no reason to think that it is. In other words, I'm not rejecting determinism just because I think it's scary or just because I don't like it, but it's because I don't believe the Bible teaches it. And that's, a, that's definitely to be commended, Okay. And that goes both ways. I'm not just rejecting libertarian free will because uh, it's, it's scary. I'm rejecting it because I consider it to be completely illogical. And, and it goes against, in my opinion, what the scripture teaches. And it goes against, as we're going to discuss in this episode, in these tweets, what I would call reality, right? That thing we live in and exist in. It goes against all of it, in my opinion. And that's part of the reason I wanted to make this response. Half of it was Drew earned... The response by being by number one making his his episode and being very uh very courteous and nice he earned the response here that's first and foremost but secondly i'm obviously also doing it because i think it serves a purpose for for my my view and my side and that is that when you hold these two worldviews up one side has all the evidence one side has all the logic one side has the solidity of of a logically consistent foundation where we start with god and, the, and, and he is the grounding of all being in existence, and he is, he is, you know, we are contingent upon him at all times. And, you know, we are contingent. We are in a finite reality. Everything is happening for a reason. We exist for a reason. Everything about us functions for a reason. So I, I hope by the end of this episode, when we hold these two things up, people can see that, no offense, Drew, but your side has nothing, <laughs> nothing going for it, in my opinion, scripturally or logically. But we're going to, that's a claim so far, and we're going to see if it plays out course. And so, um, you know, Jim chimes in here and he says, that's not strictly logical as there's no syllogism, just random inference from your position. So this is significant. You know, he's making inferences here and then he's just claiming they're just logical. He's not, he's not making, so what Jim's saying is you've not made a syllogism that is showing that this is strictly logical. So he says, so I'm at a loss if you intended something more than a statement of the position, which is up for thoughtful debate. Now, look, I don't need to put everything I say on Twitter into a syllogism. Um, if you want to ask me for one on a specific topic, I'm happy to give it. In fact, I think I'm going to be giving one later on in this episode. Um, but look, I, I said, my point is strictly logical. You can't trust random thoughts because they're random, but not because they're scary. I don't need a syllogism to prove that, okay? You can use the definition of trust, see that it's based upon reliability, and look up the, uh, the, the definition of randomness and see that it's literally the opposite of reliable, right? So I don't need a syllogism to actually, you know, prove that statement. But Drew's going to go on here to say um, what I what I mentioned earlier, that he doesn't see this as a strict dichotomy, and he's going to say the following. So one of the tactics of online Calvinism, with respect to Brother Colin, I'm, I want to be kind and charitable and stuff in this conversation, but I may sing, say things that are a little bit stringent in the process. One of the symptoms of online Calvinism, it seems to me, is to assert very strongly what they believe without a lot of argument or 
evidence. And I think that you'll see some of that emerge in this conversation as I start to kind of ask questions about what he believes and why. And I, I want to point this out uh, early on here. And that is that when you when, we're going to get into this idea of evidence. Now, I have to admit, this is probably my fault as far as this line of tweets went. That when I heard the word evidence, my mind immediately jumps to the sort of scientific, the tangible, you know, point out at the world type of thing to demonstrate the idea of determinism. So when I heard that word evidence, that's where I went in this particular line of tweets. But I certainly didn't mean to convey that I don't believe that there's scriptural evidence, quote unquote, or logical, quote unquote, evidence, although I don't really hear the word evidence used that much with those categories. Again, maybe that's just my inexperience in this whole debate arena. But I just want to give that as the reason um, why I went down that particular road in this in this uh, line of tweets. So I chimed in here afterwards after Jim said that, and I say this. Determined outside of my control and random are not the only two options because he says, uh, my point is strictly logical, you can't trust random thoughts because they're random. So he, he seemed to think that either determinism is true or thoughts are random. And again, I, as I said earlier, I do believe that. That is my position. That's my claim. And... Um, I probably should have made a syllogism for this, but I'm going to do my best to just put it into words because here I am on the spot doing the recording. Um, why do I believe that determined and random are the only two options? The reason I believe that is because the concept of self-determinism doesn't make sense for a finite entity. Okay, As I've said, and you know, a lot of Calvinists won't agree with what I'm about to say, and that's fine, but I actually do believe that God has libertarian, self-determined, self-caused free will. Okay. Now, I don't need to get into all of what that entails about, you know, there's certainly a relationship between that and God's nature, right? I'm not saying that God could lie, for example. But what I am saying is that the nature of his choices is self-determined, literally. That concept that the self-determinist or the free will, the libertarian free will proponent wants to have, the idea of self-causation and self-determinism, I do believe that God has that. But the reason God has that is because he's eternal. In other words, it deals directly with the nature of his very existence. So this is why I get, you know, I'm, I'm very amazed when the free will side, and they do this, they do this all the time when I'm, when I'm arguing with them, especially when I'm asking them to give reasons and justifications be, be, be behind their choices and why they wanted to do what they did. They hit that wall where they realize, you know what, I, I can't give a reason anymore. I just have to say I did it because I did it. And so instead of just admitting that that for a finite creature is illogical, they start pointing up at God and saying, oh, well, look, well, God has free will, right? God is self-determined, right? Well, then why can't I be? And to me, it's like one of the biggest logical fallacies you could ever commit because all the reasons why God has self-determinism are all the reasons that he's God, right? Nothing outside of him to determine or him or move him to do what he does. You know, strictly speaking, prior to creation, not going to get into you know, God's interactions in time, you know, and all that stuff. We've covered it before. But strictly speaking, prior to creation, nothing exists. Nothing outside of God to move him to do uh, or cause him to do what he did. He's not contingent upon anything else, right? So all these things that make God God are the reasons he has self-determinism. And you have none of those things. So what is your actual basis, aside from your, just your claim, I've got this thing called self-determinism. What's your logical basis for believing that it's logically possible for you to have it? And... I don't think I've ever heard an actual answer other than the claim, well, we, we, God can have it, so so can I. And I just see that as an unbelievably illogical thing to say. And so I would just ask Drew, you know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting because he's going to, Drew does this a lot where, you know, even though it's just a Twitter discussion, he wants to sort of play the, 
this is super debate mode. So I'm just going to have you try to prove your claim and I'm not going to answer any questions or, you know, this type of thing. But in this instance, he is making a claim when he says, actually, determined and random aren't the only two options. We have this thing called self-determinism. Well, that's 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 great, but that's a claim from you now, right? And and so I would ask, it, it didn't happen here because most of this was me, you know, giving my answers. But I would ask, what is your proof uh, of libertarian self-caused, self-determined free will? Other than you say you have it and God has it so I can have it, right? Though that, that does not follow, okay? Because if I ask you why God has it, what are you going to point to? All the things that make him God and make him, that are grounded in his eternal nature. So if that's why God has free will, then it can't be why you have free will. So you need to give me other reasons, right? And just saying, well, God's God, so he can give it to me doesn't work. And I've covered that in all sorts of different angles in, in all my past episodes. You know, I, I hate to just say, well, go, go check them out. But I just want to point out, you're also making a claim here. Okay. So this is, this is my point is I'm making a claim. Yes. But when you disagree with that claim, whether you intend to or realize it or not, you're also making a claim. That's just how discussions work. Okay. And I, I just want people to notice that in this particular line of tweets, and this is why I consider it useful to take this as an example and, and make an episode out of it. At the end of this line of tweets, one of us at least tried to give evidence and answers and justify the claim, but the other person didn't. But let's take this all the way back to my claim. There's either everything happens for a reason, determinism is true, or you also got randomness. Okay. My position is if you have things that are happening for reasons and you remove the reasons, you're left with randomness. Okay. Period. You're not left with a magical thing called self-determinism. And Drew's going to go on to say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a libertarian free will proponent. I believe in self-determinism, but I also want to be able to say that everything happens for a reason. And uh, I'm going to wait to respond to that when he actually says it. Now, he did concede that so-called non-Calvinists, which uh, you guys know how I feel about that term, but Arminians, provisionists, and free will theists of all stripes believe that choices are determined and that they don't arise randomly. But he seems to think that deter- Okay, so good. That answers that. Again, I'm 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 doing this, you know, I'm going through this uh I have the audio cut up, but I, I forgot that he said that, so that's good. Drew does not believe in randomness. And you know, I'm perfectly fine with pointing that out. Terminism and random are the only choices, so that's why I asked this here. And again, my position is that those are the only two logical options. I'm aware that there are other positions out there, right? <laughs> totally aware of that. But is it a logical option or not? Right. I would argue that it's not for finite creatures, at least self-determinism, that is. And so he seemed to think that everything happens for a reason. Right. And we often hear Christians say this, you know, you experience a tragedy or a trial or whatever else. Continuing on. Now, that def- I get what you're saying. And we all say that. But that's definitely not what I mean here. Right. I'm clearly talking about cause and effect determinism. I don't just mean, well, everything is has a purpose and blah, blah, blah. Right. My point is, no matter what you want to point at. In this reality, no matter how far you want to zoom in, everything has a prior cause. Everything has a reason that it's happening. So um, he says, are things happen for reason that happen for no reason? So then I chime in down here and I said, are you suggesting here that things happen for reasons is equal to determinism and that determinism is the only view that can account for things happen for reasons? So I sort of jumped the gun and already answered that, right? Based on the definition of reason itself. And the idea that self-determinism is claiming that there are no prior, you know, maybe uh, he's going to accuse me of playing word games here, cause and reason, even though it's part of the definition. 
The first definition of reason given on Google is a cause, explanation, or justification for an action or event. Drew wants to say that there are no prior causes to you causing your choice. But there can still be reasons, I guess, that you caused your choice. But they weren't determinative reasons. And this is where I get confused. Okay, This is where I want explanation as to how you could say, you know, in my mind, reason and cause are are they're interchangeable in this specific discussion of determinism versus self-determinism reason and cause are just they're identical words okay when you give a reason why something happened you're giving the cause behind its effect so i wanted to ask him a question and sort of get his feedback on some of this and to, to kind of get you know where's this reasoning coming from and one thing that again the definition of the word reason is where it's coming from so far Andrew, I would I would love to ask you, um, how can you please explain uh, how the definition of reason, a cause, justification, or explanation of an action or event, is not exclusively deterministic? How do you, how do you get self determinism to fit into that definition of reason? Um, how how does things happen for reasons work with your view of self determinism if the position itself is going to claim that there are no prior causes? Right. One thing that Eric and I joke about it among ourselves is that I'm I'm kind of a <laughs> I don't want to say pessimistic person, but I'm not I'm not overly optimistic. And in our marriage, uh, my wife is the is the eternal optimist. But when it comes to theological conversations or evangelism or whatever else it is, I'm kind of the eternal optimist that thinks that someone can be persuaded <laughs> to come over. Even. All right. Now, I have to stop there because, number one, that's great. Right. I would say the same thing, by the way. So I find it very ironic, coming from someone who denies determinism, that you think and you're optimistic about the fact that people can be persuaded, right? I, I, I just don't understand how you can argue against the idea that your thoughts and your choices are determined by things external to you, and yet also want to claim that your actions, such as debates like this, can persuade people into thinking particular ways or making particular worldview decisions when you are external to them. That's a, again, that's a direct contradiction in my mind. In fact, even more irony is introduced here when we go and we Google the definition of persuade. Numero uno, verb, to cause someone to do something through reasoning or argument. There's that word cause again. Number two, cause someone to believe something, especially after sustained effort. Convince. So, trying to say this nicely, Drew, but that's just a very ironic thing to me, right? And this is, it, it gets even more, I'm being a little dramatic here, but I'm just, these are popping into my mind as I think back over, what is one of the most common arguments against Calvinism, guys? Why do you bother to debate if it's all determined? Well, because we actually believe that since things are determined and there's a connection, that our efforts matter. <laughs> That's why, right? So it's just funny that so far, these the definitions of the words that, that we're both using in common language seem to support the idea of determinism and everything happening for a reason, right? So in my view, I'm the one who gets to say, I do what I do and I make these episodes, right? I have these conversations. I have debates because I know determinism is true, right? I know that sound arguments can cause people to think in particular ways and question their views, plant seeds, right? Make that, that grow into, into them making particular major worldview decisions or changes. My actions have determinative connections to those sorts of things. And this is why I take fatalistic objections so seriously, right? 
And I, I, I find them amusing. Well, why do you debate people if you think the future is fixed? Well, because I don't know the future, number one, right? But I know that the future is the deterministic result of what comes before it. And that includes my actions. So my actions play a part. I have the perfect justification for my efforts to persuade people with arguments like these because I believe my, ex- my efforts actually matter and cause people to think things and deliberate over these things. But if you've got free will, right? If you're the first cause, you're the self-determined cause, and nothing prior is determining your thoughts or your choices, you got, you got libertarian free will, why would it matter if I make a good argument or a bad one? You can't place any determinative weight to these quote-unquote influences. You like to throw them out there as, they're, they're just influences, right? Did a whole episode on that, influences, determinism versus free will. They're just influences, right? But you can't place, or I should say you don't place, you don't seem to place, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't seem to place any determinative weight to these influences of your choices, right? You can't say a good argument will persuade someone while a bad argument won't, because in your view, they are the ultimate determiner of whether or not they're persuaded, not you, and not your argument, right? In my view, it's it's your argument in combination with them and their current state of mind, their present knowledge, their biases, right? It's It's all factored in. But with you, it's just sort of thrown at them. And I guess when they reject your argument, you just sort of see that as this free will magic bubble that's deflecting these sorts of, you know, influences that aren't really determinative. So I just think this is a little, you know, I'm not trying to be condescending. I just think it's a little amusing when you stop to think about it, right? This, here's an interesting question, Drew. Do you choose to be persuaded or not persuaded? Is it, is it a choice that you make? Do you consider arguments and facts and evidence and weigh the evidence? Do you say, yeah, you know what? I'll allow you to persuade me right now with those arguments and those evidence. Is that is that what's going on? No, that's ridiculous, right? You either are persuaded or you're not persuaded. You're either caused to believe something because of, of some of those things or you're not. And guess what? Either way it goes, whether you are or you aren't, there are determinative reasons behind why you are or you aren't. You don't just say, well, because of free will and pack up and go home and call it a day, right? Sorry to hit on that so much, but it's just sort of one of my passionate um, categorical types of things that I like to focus on. Even if they're seemingly being unreasonable and stuff. And that can be kind of difficult to discern, right, is when to, per- when to persevere with someone and when not to. And, and so I don't... I agree. It's definitely, especially on Twitter, um, I look back on a lot of my conversations and think, wow, what a waste of time. But at the same time, it's almost like investing, but not with money. It's like investing with, with time and effort because especially with the gift of the internet that we have. We're so blessed to have the internet, you know, in our lives in this this day and age. You can write something, like a tweet. Somebody can see it five years later and be determinatively impacted <laughs> by it, right? Um, it You know, this stuff matters. And so even though I look back at a lot of my conversations and say, wow, what a waste of time with that particular person, it might have been a waste of time, right? But that doesn't mean that other people won't benefit from it. And if if even one person, you know, I always like to say if one person is is persuaded, right, to change their views because of something that I'm 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 putting out the effort, right, to say and to justify and explain, well, it's worth it, right? But who knows when that's going to come along. It's right, it's like an investment that you have to sort of wait on. But, you know, I I think the internet's great for that. I don't know, you know, obviously Colin feels very strongly about this. He has a podcast that he's dedicated to this consistent Calvinism podcast where he has uh, responded quite a bit about Leighton, actually. And uh, Bro Leighton has done some interaction with him as well. So if you're familiar with that, uh, thanks, Joel. 
And yeah, so Aaron says, and it sounds like in his view, God is incapable of working out of something without determining everything. That seemed, that's the impression that I get as well through this conversation. Now, I hear that. I hear that objection a lot, but it doesn't really, in my opinion, hold much weight, right? I'm not really saying that if libertarian free will were true, that God couldn't get stuff done. But I would say that he couldn't get done exactly what he wanted to get done. Right. He would have to make modifications to his plans. Right. Instead of his plans being the ultimate determiner of what is occurring, which includes the actions of human beings, it would actually be the actions of human beings, which is determining this sort of range of what God can or can't do. Right. And then it just gets really messy because God does, quote unquote, violate free will. Right. He stops people from doing things and this and that. And then you're just sort of left guessing. Well, sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. So, you know. I guess if you say, well, God could always get done exactly what he wanted to get done, but you have to admit he would have to violate free will, right? He would have to, you know, at least once or twice. So, you know, th that that argument, it, it's certainly not my position that unless God determines everything, he can't get done what he wants to get done. As if I'm limiting God's power or something. I'm just saying you, even you would have to admit that in order for God to get done exactly what he wanted to get done, he would have to violate this thing called free will because it's it would always be getting in the way, right? Or at least most of the time getting in the way. And so if he's not always violating free will, then what's happening, right? You're placing man in the ultimate determinative spot, and now God is reacting. And I pointed that out in past episodes how, ironically, nobody likes the idea of God determining everything you do. But you're okay with you determining what God does, because God's reacting to you and to me and to everybody else and their free will choices, and he's just making the best he can out of the situation, right? God's God. He's perfect. He's always going to do the best thing, right? The best response the best reaction. So God's not with God doesn't have free will anymore. Right. And he's the one in the reactionary position. You've got man set up in the ultimate position. Their choices are quote unquote free will choices, but God is just reacting in the best possible way he can to each and every single one. So you sort of turn God into a, you know, a robot by elevating the freedom of man. You're going to sacrifice the freedom of God. That is a fact. Now, when I was having this conversation with him, there was something that I didn't really notice about his worldview and kind of his thinking and where he was coming from and the end of the conversation, which you'll see me kind of touch on probably the point of condition, uh, contention. And it has to do with this Calvinism's cause and effect mindset, right? Now. And for the record, I, I take a stricter view of cause and effect than, than most Calvinists. So let's, let's put that out there. That's clear in my episodes. And so just because I consider that to be a more a little bit more of a consistent way of handling things doesn't mean that, that all Calvinists do. Okay. I continue on here. So this is the, you know, how does, how, so I'm just asking questions here. Right. And then I, and then I go on here and he says, uh, exactly in an, in a finite realm of cause and effect, determinism is the only view that accounts for such things, uh, i.e. things that happen for reason. And then I just asked him, how did you come to this conclusion? So he says, how did I come to the conclusion that in a finite realm, cause and effect is the only thing or what did I say? In a finite realm of cause and effect, determinism is the only view that accounts for such things. How did I come to that conclusion? So this is where I say simple logic, nothing fancy. My claim is everything happens for a reason, justified by reality itself. In fact, I think Drew's going to read this. Justified by reality itself. Now, I want you to pay attention to this word reality. Um, and that's going to come up. And that's that's a word that I started to realize he was meaning. Here. This word reality is packed with a lot of information for him. Now, that's possibly true. We're going to see that play out. Uh, my last sentence was I'm still waiting for, and this is where 
you know, this whole idea of, you know, who has the burden of proof, it's a Twitter discussion, right? So, of course, I'm going to fire back with something like this. I say, I'm still waiting for you to provide an alternate explanation and why I'm wrong. Okay, and this is where things get interesting, right? I, I hinted at this earlier with this whole idea of burden, but let's let's hear this. Since the beginning of time, I'm still waiting for you to provide an alternate explanation and why I'm wrong. So, how to talk to a Calvinist. When they claim things and assert things, you need to ask questions about how they came to that conclusion, where are they getting that from, and so on. You'll notice here that he's expecting me to provide an alternative and to tell him why he's wrong. But that's not how this works. If you make a claim, you have to provide evidence for that claim. I don't have to prove you wrong. That's not what burden of proof does. Now, so this is where it gets fun. Drew, my claim is, is that in this reality that we exist in, determinism is all there is. That's my claim. You want me to prove that and give you evidence. And as I said earlier, when I swing a dead cat, the only thing I can hit is determinism. Why is the burden on me to prove that the only thing there is, is the only thing that, so far at least, we've been able to prove and demonstrate? I mean, why do I have to go and prove that self-determinism isn't a thing, even though I think I can on a logical basis, sort of hinted at it already, why do I need to prove that self-determinism is, isn't a thing in order for determinism to be the only thing? So I'm a look, I'm not a professional in, in logic or debate or anything. So maybe I'm getting this wrong and mixed up and backwards, but I just see a serious problem with that. Okay. I, I don't know what you expect me to do. And again, my mindset when I hear that word evidence in this thread was like, do I need to like travel the universe and look under every rock to, to show you that there is no self-determinism? Right. Like, what do I need to do? Other than point out at everything and say, look, there it is, right? So that this is this is my what's going through my mind, right? So then Jim ch chimes in here again, and he says, um, he says everything. So logically, that includes God. He's definitely included in everything. And if he's all powerful, he can create libertarian free will beings. Uh, and there it is. Unless you argue he's limited by determinism. All right. So this is this is incredible. Okay. I hate to be repetitive in this episode, but I, I got ahead of myself and started hitting on things that I forgot are hit on throughout this uh, this this clip. But I, I just laid the groundwork and made it very clear that I'm speaking about a finite reality. Okay, the finite reality that God created. Okay, that is the context of our discussion. By definition, that is the context. Human choice, not God's choices, not God's nature, our nature, our choices, our reality. Okay. That's the context of our discussion. So we're not speaking about the eternal reality in which God exists, right? Look, God exists and you exist, right? Does that mean that's the same reality? No, you're a created reality. God is an eternal reality. Totally different things, okay? So we're not talking about the eternal reality in which God exists, which is obviously only applicable to him. And it's sad that I have to even say that. It's only applicable to him. So in the previous tweet, let me scroll up here. I said, in a finite realm of cause and effect, right? So I'm obviously speaking of everything within creation. And we've covered in past episodes how non-Calvinists constantly, and apparently without even realizing it, as, as seen here, they constantly assume that God is in the same sort of reality that we are, right? They, this is going to be a little offensive because they, they wouldn't admit this, but they don't have room for the creator-creature distinction in their worldview. They don't have a transcendent view of God and his relationship to to reality and what he's created. And this, you know, Drew will know what I'm talking about when I say this came out in one of our most recent, um, in fact, it was 
two days ago, most recent Twitter conversations where we're talking about, you know, God sustaining the universe and my argument that that means God must be in control of all things. They don't have a transcendent view of God, right? They don't have God acting in two ways, transcendently to sustain everything and keep it in existence. And then also understanding that God can act within that creation, right? But even acting within creation requires acting to sustain that creation so that he can interact with it, right? There's there's two senses in which God can be said to be acting or doing or working. And we've covered that in past episodes. So I know they're going to, they're, they're going to claim they have a transcendent view of God. They'll, they'll say wonderful things that, that all Christians love to say about how God's eternal and infinite. Of course, he's outside of time and always oh, self-sustaining, self-powered, not determined by things external to himself, so on and so forth. But they never adapt that worldview regarding, you know, us to those admissions, right? And this is seen on a constant basis when people like Lane Flowers and Drew himself just now, in almost every analogy that, that they give, uh, Drew's not giving an analogy here, but Leighton loves to give analogies. He gives analogies that are common to man, to finite things. Things that we know and experience, and that's that's not always bad, right? Analogies really help to get us to take things that we're used to or that we can relate to and to get us to understand something. But there's good analogies and there's bad ones, right? But it's 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 a really it's a it's a, it's a big time problem with with a lot of their arguments to take humanistic analogies and then apply those to God. They, they, they conflate the horizontal relationship to, of God to created things, and they conflate it with the vertical relationship of God to his creation. But, but back to the point in this Twitter exchange, it, it proves my point, because once again, I made it clear I'm speaking about finite reality, the reality that God created, that is contingent at all times upon him and his power. And I'm saying that determinism is all there is in that reality. I've made that very clear. And yet they come back with, oh, so does that include God? Is God bound by determinism? Unless you argue he's limited by determinism. Is God limited by determinism? No. <laughs> We're not talking about God. Determinism is not this thing that transcends created reality and is somehow applicable to God. Determinism is part of the creation of God, right? And, and this is sort of an assumption on your part. You're assuming that, well, if determinism were true, then it must also apply to God, right? Why? Because you don't have God as transcendent. You picture God as part of the same reality, right? And this is why you'll also point up in God and say, well, if he's got self-determinism, then I must have self-determinism. Or at least he can create me with self-determinism if he wanted to. Because again, you don't have that distinction in the eternal reality and a finite reality. So that, you know, this is why I hammer that point in, in, in almost every episode I do. The difference between God and transcendent position, sustaining and causing the continued existence of all things at all times, that vertical relationship of God is creation, which is always there and always taking place over against the horizontal causation we experience here in creation amongst created things. There's a difference between the causation of God causing existence and the causation which is created within that existence, right? There's a created causation, which is actually, you know, I'm starting to go long. It's going to go long. There's nothing I can do about it. But this is a, another good point to make. And I made this point in my, in my episode on Is God the Author of Sin and Evil? When I talked about causation, and I want Drew to hear this, I actually said that although I argue very strongly for cause and effect, right, in this reality, I actually said that it wouldn't matter if cause and effect within creation were true or not. In other words, I could concede to you, Drew, right now, that you and me and everybody else, that we are the first cause of our choices. I could concede that to you. And yet I could still argue for God being in absolute determinative control of everything that exists. Why? Why? Because I have 
God in the transcendent position. My, my view allows for that. Okay? Since God is the ultimate sustaining power behind all things, since he is causing the existence of all things at all moments, then at that moment in time, when you are the first cause of your choice, God is causing you to exist as a first cause of your choice. So, ironically, even if you could actually scientifically disprove determinism in this, you know, reality, it still wouldn't prove that God isn't the ultimate determiner of your choices. Still wouldn't prove it because you still haven't given an account for your continued existence as a finite creature, right? This is an interesting thing is that uh, Brother Colin and others like him seem to think that God is not, not able to, by virtue of his very character, to create beings with libertarian freedom or free will. That that would somehow be illogical or violate his character or something like that. So it's got nothing to do with his character, Drew. It's just uh, we claim that it's a logical impossibility, okay? Just as God can't cause himself to cease to exist, just as God can't sin, just as God can't lie, just as God can't create another God like himself, right? All of those things are logical impossibilities. They're not limitations of God, right? They're not, well, God can't do that because he's not powerful enough. It's got nothing to do with his power. It's actually because he's God, because he's eternal, right? It is because he's God he can't do those things. They're, they're logical impossibilities. So I can't spend too much time on it here. Um, I've done plenty of episodes on why God can't create you as a free will creature. But I'll just stop and point out here, you claim that he can, and yet I'd love to hear a proof that he can. Without you just saying, well, he's God so he can do it, or, well, God has free will so so can I. Those aren't proofs of anything, right? Those are logical fallacies, as I've already pointed out. That would be a claim of yours, which I would like to see demonstrated. How is it that God can create you as a finite creation, reliant at all times upon his sustaining power? How can God create you as an autonomous libertarian creature? Right? What's, what's a proof of that? So then I said this, what I basically said to you guys earlier. It's not my responsibility to demonstrate that you're wrong. It's the person making the claims that bears the burden of proof. And simple logic, nothing fancy, is not an argument. It's an assertion. This comes back to what, in my experience, I'm not attempting to generalize all Calvinists here, but especially online Calvinism, as we've grown to call it. Um, people make claims and then don't provide a lot of evidence and then expect you to refute their claims when that's not how that works. Now, Drew is right in his general principle general principle that he's speaking of here right you don't just get you don't just get to make claims right blah 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 but as we've been going through this discussion right to say that i'm just making claims without quote-unquote evidence you know i think is a little a little incorrect okay again when i'm pointing to reality right because that's all that, that that's all i can point at for evidence for determinism is the cause and effect reality that surrounds us all it's it's not just a claim right this is why in the very next tweet, I say, so I point to reality, and you say, prove it. LOL. I said, asserting that determinism is reality is begging the question, but yes, you make claims, you support them. That's generally how this works. So my claim is that everything happens for a reason, and I support that by pointing to the reality that surrounds us, where it just so happens that everything is happening for a reason. How is that not providing evidence to support my claim? In fact, as I've said before, the only things that I can point at, the only things that the dead cats that I swing can hit, are examples of things happening for reasons, a.k.a. determinism. And we're about to get into where he's going to say, well, things happening for reasons isn't determinism. Um, 
Good luck with that on the definitions of words like reason. So I go on to say, the only thing that I can show you my position is cause and effect reality. You think you're not making a claim by denying determinism, which you are. Can you show me an example of cause and effect or of an effect without a cause? And how is the burden on me? How could I possibly convince you? And here's the thing, Drew. I don't think you ever answered that question. How could I possibly convince you that determinism is the only thing there is? You demand evidence, but you don't tell me what would convince you. And, and you ignore the evidence that I do provide and consider it to not be evidence. Show me where I deny determinism, except for the fact that you know that I do. In other words, I'm not making claims here <laughs> that I need to defend. See, and this is where he's just sort of playing his little game instead of actually just holding a Twitter discussion. And, the, you know, I'm not going to say I don't appreciate that, but I hope you can understand why I'm a little irritated by it, right? You said multiple tweets ago, determined and outside of my control and random are not the only two options, right? That's a claim, just so you know. Uh, besides the fact that you know that I do. And I said no in response to you think you're not making a claim by denying determinism. And then I uh, actually the no was in response to this. Can you show me an example of an effect without a cause? All right. Now, this is critical. Okay. Critical. My question, can you show me an example of an effect without a cause? Drew's answer is no. Keep that in mind, okay? Because Drew doesn't seem to realize that he's demanding evidence from me, which I do provide by pointing to reality, and then point out that he can't give any evidence to the contrary. And apparently he agrees. So, and then I said, you made the claim. Burden of proof is yours. But I think I know what's happening. So this is kind of where I clued in and I realized... When he says reality, Drew, you're just denying reality. How can I convince you of determinism except to point to cause and effect reality? Correct. So here's what I said. I think I know what's happening. Everything is cause and effect. Yes. That does not mean equal to all is determined by prior causes outside of me. Okay. Now, in my opinion, this is the jackpot right here. I'm going to replay it. Listen closely to this. Everything is cause and effect. Yes. That does not mean equal to all is determined by prior causes outside of me. Now, Drew says, yes, everything is cause and effect. And then immediately proceeds to say, that doesn't mean that things are determined by prior causes outside of me. To which I say, you can't say that everything is cause and effect. And then also say that I'm the first cause of X, Y, or Z. That's a direct contradiction because you've excluded yourself from the everything that has prior causes. You can't prove that you're a first cause of anything, by the way. That's a pure claim. So this is the point I already hit on. I jumped the gun, but I'm going to reiterate it. Those of you regular listeners are used to this sort of repetition. If you are the starting point or the first cause of a chain of causes and effects, then apparently not everything is cause and effect. Because you openly reject that you were caused to do something. And as you're going to see in this conversation carries on, Drew doesn't seem to see that contradiction. So then I said, the above is your burden of proof. So if you're going to claim that determinism is true, you need to prove it. You need to show that choices and thoughts cannot be self-determined. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? 
How is the burden of proof on the person who's putting forth a position that is consistent with everything about the reality that we live in and everything that we know so far? Why do I need to prove that choices and thoughts can't be self-determined? You're the one who claims that self-determined is a thing, not me. So you have the burden of proof to prove that thoughts and choices can be self-determined for finite creatures. That's not my burden, right? I don't need to go look under every rock, so to speak, and show that self-determinism actually isn't there somewhere. That's not my job. It's your job, right? So I just found this a little weird that this whole thing started out with, yes, I made a claim, either determined or random. And then Drew makes a claim without realizing it, that actually there's this third option called self-determinism. And then now I need to prove that his third option isn't actually possible. No, no, no. You're the one that has to prove that your third option is actually possible. Okay. So again, I could be getting myself into a lot of trouble here because I'm not an expert in logic. Um, But just from a a common sense dude perspective, I think this sort of, you know, blew, blew, blew back in your face a little bit, uh, Drew. So I was acknowledging that everything is cause and effect. So my choices don't just arise randomly, right? He's right about that. But they can be self-determined. Okay. And that sounds like a claim, Drew. Can you prove self-determinism? What evidence do you have? And so as I was having this conversation with him, um, so I said, the, the above is your burden of proof. You need to show that choices and thoughts cannot be self-determined. Then determinism would be the only other logical option. So if you can demonstrate this, that my choices can't be self-determined, then, then you'd be right. Determinism would be the only other logical option. And my point was, you haven't showed that yet. And, you know, I'll reiterate again. When I heard the word evidence, I started to get tossed around and my mind immediately went to like tangible, scientifically demonstrable things. But here you are saying that I need to refute your position. It's basically what you're saying. You're, you're not just saying that I need to demonstrate my claim, right? You're actually, it's, it's sort of baked in that I need to be also refuting your claim <laughs> when you stop and think about it. Now, I will say, uh, you know, if, if you want a quote unquote proof that self-determinism is not a logical option for a finite creature, I do this constantly when I simply ask people the why question, right? Leighton's Flower says I'm like the little five-year-old who asks the why question. Why, why, why? Well, the why is asking for the reason behind something. If everything happens for a reason, then you should be, an- you should be able to answer the why question, correct? So, Drew, let's play the game that I play with everybody when it comes to this topic. Why did you do what you did? All other things aside, I think it's safe to say that you wanted to do it. If we're talking about a free choice where you weren't forced, you wanted to do what you did. So you acted on your desire. That's great. We're all on the same page. But why did you want to do that? Why did you want to do what you did? Everything has a reason, right? Everything happens for a reason. So your want happened for a reason. So why did you want to do what you did? Can you answer that question? Here's my challenge to you. Can you answer that question without committing a logical loop? If you did it because you wanted to, then why did you want to? And if you say because you chose to want to, as if you could control your desires in the first place, which I also think is logically absurd... We won't get off on that. But if you say that you chose to want to, and we're talking about a free choice that you made, then that means you chose to want to choose. You just looped, right? Because now I just have to ask, why did you make that choice? Why did you choose to want to choose? Is that because you also wanted to? So you're just going to insert desire, choice, desire, choice, desire, choice, infinitely, you know, backwards, because you're unwilling to commit 
to an, a cause external to you. So your only choice is commit an infinite logical regress by saying you chose to want to choose to want to choose to want to choose. Or you can just stop it like Leighton Flowers does and say, full stop. I just am the reason. Right? Why did you do it? Why did you choose it? Because you wanted to. Why did you want to? Because me. Well, then why you? Right? Everything happens for a reason. So you don't get to say full stop. Right? So that might be an... That might not be a nice, pretty syllogism. I, I suppose I could take the time to, to try to think one up on that topic. But it demonstrates a serious logical problem with trying to fit self-determinism into a finite reality. When you ask the why question over and over, which is simply asking for the reason behind something occurring, to try to maintain the idea of you being a first cause, either one commits a logical, infinite regress, and therefore, in a finite reality, is just false, or two, you have to violate and go back on what you said earlier, that everything actually doesn't happen for a reason, because you're the starting point. I, I see that as a lose-lose for you. And just to offer this in, in I guess, syllogistic form, because in my opinion, it, it is very simple. Uh, it's This is a one, two, three. One, everything happens for a reason, which Drew agreed with uh, at the beginning. And again, the definition of reason is a cause, justification, or explanation for an action or event. So, one, everything happens for a reason. Two, you making a choice is something that happened. Three, therefore, there was a reason for you making that choice. Now, I word that, I word that carefully, you making a choice. I didn't just say your choice because why did your choice happen? Well, because you made it is what you could say. But why did you make the choice? And again, you could dissect that more by talking about because you wanted to and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But I'm just keeping it simple. You making a choice is something that happened. Everything happens for a reason. Therefore, there was a reason that you made that choice. Now, if, if you're going to actually argue that reason is not the same as cause, well, then I can just change the word or change the syllogism, change the syllogism slightly. I could say everything, ha everything that happens has a cause, right? Remember Drew agreed earlier, everything is cause and effect. He said yes. He just went on to say that that doesn't mean his choices are preceded by prior causes, which the point of the syllogism is to prove that contradiction. One, everything that happens has a cause. Two, you making a choice is something that happened. Three, therefore, something caused you to make that choice. Okay? I really do see it as that simple. Now, maybe I'm just short-sighted, uh, but I'll leave it up to Drew to take, you know, something like that and, and respond to it and show how that, that, that type of logical reasoning is invalid. We continue. And this is, this is really, this is just, just so interesting. And I think this gets into some of the philosophical problems that Calvinism often has, and that especially your normie Calvinist, when he's talking about his own beliefs, and especially when he's not been challenged on his own beliefs, he's making some basic philosophical errors, which I'm, I'm not saying that condescendingly. <laughs> In fact, again, I already admitted I could be making such errors, right? So that's, that's fine. But this is why I just get a little irritated by this passive approach of thinking that you don't need to do any of the work. Um, not that you have have not in other conversations. Don't get me wrong, Drew. But but it, it's just when you take a fully passive approach, especially in a Twitter conversation, it's just a little irritating. But maybe that's that's just me. And I'm not saying don't ask questions. All I'm saying is these uh, these strict rules of debate that you're throwing at me, they're, they're equally applicable to you and the claims that you make and, and made in this thread as well. I've learned a lot about philosophy and about 
determinism, libertarianism, causes, influences, and stuff like that by a lot of different brothers around me. Blake Flowers, Tim Stratton, Eric Hernandez. I've listened to Guillaume Vignon talk about some of the philosophical issues here at stake. And so uh, we're all learning. I don't, I'm not saying that to disparage him. I'm just saying that there are some, there are some gaps here, and that's okay. Okay. I'm sure that I have gaps as well. I'm, I'm totally fine with that, that criticism. It's, it's probably true. And so it's interesting here because the, the burden of proof got shifted to me because I basically acknowledged that there are two choices, determinism and self-determinism. And so I needed to prove that choices could be self-determined. Right. As I pointed out earlier, right? If you're going to disagree with my claim, you're actually making a claim in the process. And you'll notice here that he says it's a direct contradiction because you've excluded yourself from the everything that has prior causes. So what he's misunderstanding here and that you'll see me go on to highlight is that I did not cause myself to come into existence. Yes, something caused me to come into existence, but that does not preclude the fact from there that I, an agent, can determine my own choices. So just because I was brought into existence by God does not mean that he has predetermined all of my choices. And, and here's the problem. This is erroneous, Drew, because you falsely assumed that God's involvement in your existence ceased after he created you, right? This is, a, this is again, one of those things that you, you can't ever get the other side to admit to, but their view just screams it. And But if you say it, you're just accused of misrepresenting them. How do you not have a view, a, a semi-deistic view of things being self-sustained? If you can look at something as God just created me, yeah, he caused me to exist, but after that, it's me causing things. Here's the problem, Drew, and we just, we just had a discussion on this, and, and maybe we'll bring that discussion into our little episode interactions here. I don't know where this is going to go, but God did not merely cause you to come into existence. God continually causes your existence at all moments. That's what the Bible explicitly teaches when it says that God upholds the universe, which includes you, by his power, right? Or in God, all things have their being. God's power, his causation of existence, is it didn't cease when he first brought you in existence, after he first brought you in existence. It is always there. And I also wanted to play this part. Not preclude the fact from there that I, an agent, can determine my own choices. Now, you mean self-determine your own choices, right? Even determinists like myself believe that we make determinations and that we, we determine our choices. We just believe we're part of the causative chain. We're not the starting point of the chain. So that's also another important thing to point out. And don't forget, guys, uh, I'm going to keep reiterating this. Even if you want to be someone, a Calvinist, who says that actually there are points where we are a starting point of a particular cause and effect chain, you still have to admit that that cause and effect chain is part of creation, just as you are. And so you have to give an account for the existence of that state of creation. So you can be a first quote-unquote cause in creation of your choice, but you still have to point out that God is causing you to exist at that moment as a created first cause of your choice. And so I go on to seek out to get evidence of this view to him. And I said... Now, he just said that he's going to give evidence of self-determinism. He just said that. And so I go on to seek out to get evidence of this view to him. I want you guys to notice as we finish through this uh, interaction, that never happened. Drew never gave evidence of his position. There was only one person in this discussion giving evidence at all, and that was me. And I said, you know, he said, you can't prove you're the first cause of anything pure claim. And so then I wanted to ask him, 
what kind of proof are you talking about here? Are you talking about scientific proof, philosophical proof? If it's the latter, in other words, if it's philosophical proof, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're trying to reason through this and talk about philosophical proofs for our positions. So what's your philosophical proof, Drew? I can guess. <laughs> I can guess it's going to be God self-determined so I can be too. Because <laughs> that's all I've ever really heard from your side. But uh, continuing and on. And then I said, how is it not rational to say to you that God caused my existence, but I cause my own choices, that God gave me that ability? So, And again, you have to be more specific, Drew. You can't just say that you cause your own choices. Even I can say that. Okay. I cause my choices. Yes. Why did I do it? Because I wanted to. Right. But I trace it. I keep tracing it backwards and I'm not afraid to point to things external to me or my current state of mind or, you know, these sorts of things. I'm not afraid to continue that causal chain and actually give justifications for what's going on. So you can't just say, well, how is it not rational to say that that God caused my existence, but I caused my own choices? Well, what if it's both? Right. What if, what if determinism can be true and you causing your own choices can be true? Because what you really mean there is that you self-determine, that you are the first cause, that you originate as the source, literally the, <laughs> the metaphysical causative source of your choices. There's a whole lot of stuff that's baked into your view that you're not actually saying here. We're not saying that we just have some kind of autonomous ability in and of ourselves that we just conjure up where we have this super superpower of free will i'm saying well no you're saying god gave you that power but it's still a, a power of conjuring up and being a first cause okay why could god not create me cause my existence and then i can self-determine my own choices not self-determine myself as in create okay that time you said self-determinism okay so good myself continually create myself or something but that i can god can then give me the ability of having free will because as i already pointed out God's power over your existence does not cease after he brings you into existence. It's always there. So I think this might be a good point to introduce a syllogism of mine. And look, I, I'm not afraid to go for shock factor, right? If you haven't been able to tell yet by my episodes. Um, so the, the subject I chose for the syllogism, it, this syllogism is actually really old. I made this a while back, but it deals with you know, does God control human thoughts, ultimately? So that's that's the topic, and this argument is seeking to prove that God is in, and I think you can take the idea of the human mind here and, and thoughts and just interchange it with anything that exists, and the argument still stands, because that's, that's my argument from God as the sustainer of all things. But um, I want to go ahead and post that here, show it on the screen, and read it. So I've got the syllogism up on the screen. Um... I'll go through it, and I'll give you a spoiler alert, right? There's, as far as I've been able to tell, there's only one way that you can contest this syllogism, or attack it, I should say, and that is point one, right from the bat. You're going to have to demonstrate that I'm starting, starting with a false claim that God, that when he sustains something's ex existence, that that is a causal thing on his part, which I'll end by saying why I think that you can't get around that. But let me go ahead and read it. Number one. God causes the existence of all created things by his power at all moments. So this is important. The all moments thing is important. Because I'm not just saying, as Drew said, well, God just created, he caused you to exist. I'm saying that God, this is my understanding of a verse like Hebrews 1.3 that says that God sustains, uh, upholds the universe by the word of his power, and it's always true. God is causing the existence of all created things by his power at all moments. Number two, the human mind is a created thing. 
3. Therefore, God causes the existence of the human mind at all moments. 4. God is the ultimate determiner of what his own power causes. 5. Therefore, God determines the way in which the human mind exists at all moments by causing its existence. 6. Human thoughts are contingent upon the way in which the human mind exists at a particular moment. 7. Therefore, God determines all human thoughts at all moments by causing the way in which the human mind exists at all moments. Now, as I said, if point one is true, if God's actually causing existence when he is sustaining it, if it's a causative action of the result of his power, then everything else follows. And the reason I take the argument from God's sustainer so seriously is because I think it, it does prove that God controls all things. He's, he's in control of all things at all times. And, as far as this discussion goes, completely destroys the possibility of Drew's beloved self-determinism. Okay, Because as I already said, even if you could scientifically somehow demonstrate that you're the first cause in the chain of events, you're the first cause of your choice, that still doesn't get around God being the cause of you existing as the first cause of your choice. Because God's causation of existence transcends your created causation. Right? But back to this uh, syllogism. You have to somehow say that God sustaining your existence is not causal. Good luck doing that, right? Because, number one, it's an action of God. He's not forced to do it. And it is directly related to his power, right? You have to show that his, his power upholding existence isn't causal. And then number three, I just ask, what happens if God stops sustaining your existence by his power? You cease to exist, right? So... If God not exerting power equals you not existing, and God exerting power equals you existing, then that's causal by definition. You can't escape it. And I would just simply ask, why would, you know, you just admitted God caused you to come into existence when he first created you. Why would it not follow then that God is causing you to continue to exist as he sustains you? Right? It's the same power. Right? He's using, it's God's power. He's creating things. And then he's sustaining those things. Are, are you going to say there's a different power? Are you going to say he's exerting that power in a different way? There's all sorts of things here that you need to come along and actually explain and prove and, and, and demonstrate. That's not on me, or at least in my opinion. You know, I, I think it's just ABC123, God is causing you to continue to exist. And as a final note, if, if Drew is going to try to deny that God's sustaining power is causal of existence... Um, number one, I would ask then what's the difference between that and being self-sustained? In other words, what is the point of God's power in the first place? If it's not actually having a causative result on, on the things it's keeping in existence, if it's not actually tied to the way the thing is existing in that moment, um, what's the point of having God's power there? I mean, you've already sort of blatantly said that you think you're the power behind your own first causes. So I wonder how that fits in. So I'd ask you to square that with the relationship of God's power. How is your power of first causation tied to God's power of sustainment? And how is it not determinative, not causal? How could God not be in control of the results of his own power? And this is where Drew, I would think, with some of the analogies he's given uh, on Twitter, that he might say something like, well, the power is what gives us, is what sustains our function. But that has never been my point. It's not the point of Hebrews 1.3. It's speaking of existence, not merely function, right? Function is a part of existence, which is encompassed within the, you know, the existence that God is sustaining by his power. But God is not merely 
powering the quote-unquote function of, of things in this universe. This, this entire metaphysical point that I'm trying to make here all along goes far deeper than that, right? God is not merely a power source which fuels the functionings of this universe, which can be functioning in ways that he is not in control of. God's power is the very ground, and I would say cause, of the existence of all the things that are functioning in this universe every moment and step along the way that they are functioning. So I want to make that really clear uh, so that if Drew does do a response, there's, there's no misconceptions here, okay? The Bible is not teaching that God merely sustains or quote-unquote gives power to your function. It is saying he is sustaining your existence, which includes all of you, right? It's, it's every part of you. So check that syllogism out. I'd love to hear some answers on that. And uh, so I'm going to leave that one there and see what happens with it. And so he said that he, he would say both is the kind of evidence that he's looking for. And that he stands firm that even philosophically, the idea of self-determinism for finite creatures and a reality of cause and effect. There's that reality of cause and effect again. So he's assuming. Yeah. The only reality that I can point at. Right. Thing, that this is only a reality of cause and effect and that the universe are causes and effects, and that I am subject to all of the causes and effects that, that came before me, and that my choices then flow on from that, as opposed to me being autonomous to where I can cause my own choices. And then here he says it's logically incoherent. I believe to be the first cause of anything necessitates being eternal. Anything that is not eternal has a cause. This, this will be a good test, test to see if I can kind of say what's in my head out loud here. But what he's saying is that to be the first cause of anything, you need to be eternal. And what he means by that is in order for you to be the creator of something, you must be eternal because you can't create something out of nothing. You can't cause something to come into existence is what he's saying here. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And anything that is not eternal has a cause. This is kind of an allusion to a philosophical concept called the Kalam or the cosmological argument for God's existence. Which I and by the, Again, I'm not just saying that God you know, doesn't have a first cause or that creation. He is the first cause of creation merely in that sense. I'm speaking of existence at all moments. When God is sustaining existence moment by moment, he is the ultimate, if you want to say first cause of the existence of the thing in that moment. I don't think that's an identical act to creation. It's a, it's a sustainment rather than a creation. Although I, I've, I've read about views on continuous creation and I don't particularly see much of a problem with it. It seems right along the lines of what I've been saying, but even if you don't want to say it's the same creative act in the, in the first cause in that sense, it is still a cause of God that must logically be preceding the existence of all things in that moment. And if you're going to deny that, that necessary causative power of God sustaining existence in that particular moment, then how is the, why not just say that things are self-sustained? Why not take a deistic view where God creates and can metaphysically let go of and things just exist? What's the difference if the, the power of God over that existence is not causative? Then you're just wanting to say it to sound like what the Bible's saying, but you're not actually making a logical application of that to your worldview. In fact, I think when you try to make the logical application of that, this is where you get into all sorts of your, in my opinion, no offense, really bad analogies where the power, the sustaining power of God is just viewed as some sort of power source to fuel or facilitate the function of things rather than actual, actually causing the existence of those things at that moment in time. I won't get into here because I only have about 15 minutes left and I need to move on. <laughs> Google it. Um, 
I would also say, you know, I, I've gotten into some recent discussions with people on this idea of like words like create and words like existence and, and what that means. You know, I've always, you know, I've always just understood when I'm talking about what does it mean to create something? Obviously, God created out of nothing. He is creating things, right? Um, that's not the same thing as like saying I created a cake, right? When I create, when I create something, I'm taking things that already exist and I'm just assembling them in a different. So I'm creating a state, I suppose, right? But that's not out of nothing, right? That's not the same thing. So I've heard uh, some people on the free will, libertarian free will side. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think in the Romans nine debate that Lane Flowers had with. James White, I think he said he that free will is creating choices out of nothing. Um, but I don't know what that means, because what is a choice? What is a thought? You know, you have to ask all these questions and it gets a little complicated. But I would ask Drew, this is your chance to sort of explain these things. What do you mean when you say that you create your choice? Or do you even say that you create it? I don't know. In fact, I'm answering this afterwards. I did go and find the clip from Leighton. It wasn't with James White. It was in his free will debate that he did a two versus two debate. It was at, in his closing statement at the very end, around the two, two hour, seven minute mark. And this is what he said. We simply disagree. We say people make determinations. In the same mysterious way God chose to create ex nihilo, he created something from nothing. We can't explain exactly how he does that. Nobody can explain how God creates something from nothing. But so, too, we are given by God the ability to create our own choices. God is creative, and we are made in his image as creative beings. And therefore, we're given a level of creative ability, the ability to make choices. So the mystery of libertarian freedom is similar to the mystery of creation itself. God created something from nothing. In a similar way, he has given us the ability to create something from nothing, namely our desires and our choices. So that's that's Leighton's take. And in, in Drew's defense, I think Drew has thought about this a lot more than Leighton has. I think even Leighton would probably reword or take some of that back. But it demonstrates this knee-jerk idea that enters people's minds that, well, God can do this thing, so so can I, right, on full display right there. But we'll hear Drew sort of give his, his view a little more. I just want to make it clear. There are people who say that, yes, our choices are, I guess, things that we, in the same way God created out of nothing, we create out of nothing. And he even said at the end there, your desires. <laughs> All right. So then, so then he says, um, yes, so Kiss the Sun is saying here, God caused us to come into existence by creating the first man and woman and commanded them to multiply so that we might feel better, feel after him and find him. Yep. So God can cause us to come into existence and then give us a certain amount of freedom within that. And that's kind of what's up for question here that Colin doesn't seem to be acknowledging as a logical possibility. Right. And it just depends what you mean by freedom. And it's, it's funny how a certain level of freedom. I, I've, never, I've never understood how that works out. Like, to me, you're either free or you're not. Okay. Like a certain level of freedom. People talk about, oh, God set up the parameters. And it's like, but, but that's just sort of fluffy a fluffy way of trying to pretend like you're free, but you're really not. I mean, if God places you, it's like the whole Molinism thing. God places you in circumstances, knowing what you'll do. You're the only sense in which you're freely doing it is the sense that Calvinists say that you're doing what you want, but you weren't free to do other than what God knew you'd do when he put you in the circumstance. Right? So what is, what is certain levels of freedom mean? That, that phrase is constantly thrown around, but it's never really explained. Like, what does that look like in reality? Certain levels of freedom, right? But, but this idea of 
it's just not taught in Scripture. It's assumed, right? Scripture doesn't teach that God gives you, quote-unquote, autonomy over your existence. Right? You don't have autonomy over your existence. That's God's role. That's his position. God is the one who is always exerting power over your existence to keep you in existence. Right? That's him. So your existence is always contingent upon the power of God at all moments. And therefore, you know, so is anything and everything about your existence, including your choices and your thoughts and your emotions and your desires and your actions. It's all contingent upon God. He's the one who gives things reality in the first place. So to say that at any point in your existence or that any part of your existence could ever have autonomy or freedom from God, this is why I stress this idea so much. That's logically impossible, according to uh, verses like Hebrews 1.3. And then I said here, again, how to talk to a Calvinist? It's good, good to ask questions. This is true for anyone. Anyone that's making claims, you want to ask how they're coming to these conclusions, where they're getting this from, and so on. So, how did you come to the conclusion that only an eternal being can be the first cause behind his choices? Because that's what's at stake here, right? Is that, can I be the first cause behind my choices, not behind my existence? That's what we're talking about here. You notice how, Drew, you just sort of separated your choices from your existence. But your choices are an occurrence of your existence. I mean, what is what is occurrence if not a state of existence, right? And why have you assumed that God stopped determining your existence or an aspect of your existence after he first created you? You're, you're totally cool with admitting you didn't choose to be created. God caused you to exist. God is, as my syllogism said, God is the ultimate determiner of what his own power causes. He created you exactly the way he wanted you to exist because he's in control of his own power. Why do you assume that that fact stopped or ceased after he created you? Why do you assume that the only part of your existence that God determined is how you come into existence? What if God is determining every aspect of your existence every moment that you exist? So then here I said, anything that is, is not eternal has, it has a cause or its existence. But that doesn't mean choices are not caused by him. That is, by the person who is not eternal. See, but that, that's the same point reiterated, right? I'll make I'll make the additional point that you you again you you left the word self out when you said that our choices are caused by us. You mean first caused, self determined. Uh, even determinists believe that we cause our choices, but we just also happen to believe that something caused us to cause our choices. We believe that we're a part of the flow of that that, as I say, cause and effect reality. Okay, but here's the thing, Drew. I'm asking you for evidence, and so far you've got claim with zero evidence. You have no scientific evidence for self-determinism, right? The only, the only attempt I've ever heard at a scientific demonstration or justification of self-determinism, ironically, wasn't actually for self-determinism. People have pointed to quantum theory, all right? Quantum theory basically says on the very, very subatomic level, particle level, there's randomness going on and it's indeterminate, right? Which is funny to me because that, to me, that just sounds like, well, it's so small, we can't understand it, so therefore it's random. I remember reading the reading the Wikipedia page years ago on quantum theory, and about three quarters of the way down the page, it said something like, once you reach the size of an animal cell, things become, quote-unquote, sufficiently determined, whatever that means. How convenient. So as soon as things become big enough for us to understand, all of a sudden determinism is true. But, you know, quantum theory, ooh, uh, on the subatomic particle level, things are random. And I've actually heard people, I think Braxton Hunter in one of my very earliest episodes, uh, well, not that early, 
the episode titled Abandoning Our Free Will Intuitions. I think Braxton Hunter gave it, used, um, it might not have been him. I don't want to, I don't want to speak wrongly, but I've heard people use the quantum theory thing to show, ah, see, uh, here's evidence that maybe not everything is determinism. But ironically, that's not actually helping Drew's argument here, right? Because quantum theory would prove that you've got randomness. You've got determinism and randomness, which is, which is what I started out as saying are the only two possibilities. But that doesn't prove self-determinism, right? Because self-determinism, as Drew said, isn't randomness. So ironically, even if you had scientific evidence and quantum theory were true, that determinism isn't all there is, all, all quantum theory would prove is that the only other option is randomness, which is what I said, which is what I started out saying. So you have no scientific evidence that you can point at. Everything that you point at is determinism. When I say you have no biblical evidence, we'll have to save that for another day, but I strongly believe that you have no biblical evidence. All you have are assumptions, people making choices, people willing to do this, people wanting to do that, people rejecting this, accepting that. You're assuming autonomous free will into that. You, you need to actually have concrete foundational verses that demonstrate that you have an autonomous power over your own existence, which no verse of scripture will ever tell you. But I, I think this is a good point where if Drew does do a response, I would like a syllogism possibly from you on the topic of self-determinism and a proof, just, just you know, any sort of proof along those lines, because so far we haven't had it. So then I, I said this, and I thought, surely this is getting at the point of contention. Surely this will make sense to him. Right off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly how he responded to this, but I'm, but I'm pretty sure I didn't convince him. Here it is. I said, I'm not creating anything out of nothing, though. I have influences, my brain, my mind, my memories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just false to say that I am. So it's false to say that I think that I am creating my choices out of nothing. And this is where... Okay, now, that's great, but I'm just saying there are people who have said that. I'm glad Drew doesn't say that. Where we often get these straw men of, of, of accusations of me, of us free will theists thinking that we are like gods or something because I can create out of nothing my own choices and stuff. So you're putting yourself on the level of God. That, that seems to be implicitly what he's saying here, right? Well, it's a sub form of that. Okay. Because what you're going to go on to say is anything that's not eternal has a cause for its existence, but that doesn't mean choices are not caused by him. What is a choice, if not a change in the state of your existence? You want to give God credit for causing you to come into existence, but you don't want to give God credit for the change in your existence while you exist. You want to take credit for that yourself. You want to say that you cause the changes in state of your own existence, at least as far as your choices are concerned. And this is where I point back at my syllogism. You don't cause. You are not the ultimate power behind the change in the state of your existence. God is, because he's sustaining you at all moments. So, You've got Drew in state A, and the next nanosecond, millisecond, whatever second, the next moment, you've got Drew in state B. You've got state A and state B, okay? And let's just say it's a choice that's occurring. Drew, what is the ultimate reason and the ultimate power behind your change in, from state A to state B as, as, an ex, as a thing that exists? And as far as I can tell, your view is that you are, not God, right? You are somehow the ultimate determiner of your state as an existing thing changing from state A to state B, right? Whether we're talking about our mind here, choices, whatever, you know, just keep it simple. State A to state B, you're saying that you are the ultimate cause, the first cause, the ultimate power behind that change in state, 
What I'm saying is that God is. Because state A necessitates God's power for its existence. And so does state B. So what's the ultimate reason that state A changes to state B? It has to be God's power. Your power, quote unquote, is contained within that existence. It does not transcend it. God's power transcends it. So the very idea that the most fundamental necessity for the existence of something at moment A or B is the power of God first and foremost, what then has to change first and foremost in order for existence to change from state A to state B? It has to be God's power, right? If God doesn't change his power and the way he's exerting his power, then it just stays in state A, right? And this is where, again, I can't help but get onto this topic, even though I'm supposed to be saving it, but this is revealed by our Twitter discussions when you start giving analogies where God's sustaining power is just sort of this fuel source that you take and you use with your free will. It's it's just, it's not even close to what the Bible is saying. It's talking about your existence. God sustains your existence. But I, I feel like this is sound and that this makes sense. I can't remember what he said here, so we're going to kind of rediscover this together, but... So I said, it's just false to say that I am creating things out of nothing. And then I asked him, so because he said here, if you're creating things out of nothing, this violates scripture that says that God created all things. And I said, so when you say God, when you read God created all things, I'm wondering where he's getting this thinking from. When you read God created all things, you see this as him saying that he created our choices too. Is that what you're saying? Now, that's a good question. And no, um, I, I would like to clarify that. I don't think your choice is a thing that is created. I think it's a description of a state of you exist of your existence, right? Same thing with thoughts. You know, we can, again, this is a topic that can be debated, but in my opinion, thoughts are uh, contingent upon the state of your mind. As the state of your mind changes, your thoughts change. They are not things that are like literally existing there. <laughs> it's just, it is a, a product of the state of your mind. And so, if that's what you mean by create choices, that that's great. So you're you're not creating your choices, but you're still causing, right? You're still claiming to cause, to be the first cause in the change in state of your existence, whether it's in your mind or your body or your brain or doesn't matter, the change in state of your existence that is bringing that choice about. You're claiming to be the ultimate first cause, power, whatever you want to say, okay? And so then he says, he says, no. God created all the things that are involved in, in your choices, some of which you listed off. He then causes those things to function in particular ways, which would, which, which would describe or observe as the laws of nature. So this is really interesting here. And that's, that's what I laid out in my very first episode. That's why it was five hours long. I talked about, you know, it's, it's all with this foundation of God as sustainer. Okay. I'm, I'm just describing my view to you right now, Drew. Okay. So, God created all the things that are involved in your choices, whether it's your mind, your heart, your your brain, whatever's going on when you're making a choice, it all involves things that God created, right? And when I say he then causes those things to function in particular ways that we describe in regular ways that we describe or observe as the laws of nature, all that means is God is the sustaining power behind the existence of all things. Any change in state from A to B to C to D must be caused by God's power, ultimately, not by any power in the existence itself, right? Any created powers are part of what God is causing to exist. And so this is why we have radically different worldviews on things like wh wh what are laws of nature? What is chemistry? What is gravity? What is what are, what are these things? You seem to think that those are things that God set up, right? He brought them into existence and he set them up to function. 
and then he lets him go, right? In my worldview, those are descriptions of the way that God is working things. God works all things after the counsel of his will. From him and through him and to him are all things. He declares the end from the beginning. He has planned it. He will also do it, right? I, I did an episode. Is God the author of sin and evil? If you guys want to have a lot of fun, go for that one. Two hours, not too bad. And yet it was exhaustive. I, I, I went through the weather, plants and vegetation, animals, hearts and minds of man. I showed God in the Bible is described as being in control of all these things. And yet we also know that there are storyline level reasons within creation why those same things are happening. And yet the Bible can point at God and say, God did it. God does it. God's doing it. Right? So that's to make a long story short. It's almost as though, and this is where I, I ended up asking him, you know, do you, what's your testimony? Do you come from an atheist background where you want a naturalist? So a naturalist is a person who believes that only nature exists. They nine, nine times out of 10 tend to be determinist because if nature is all that exists, then prior cause and effect just leads to one thing to another. Right. That's, that's true. Uh, I was not raised in, no, I was, I was in a very, I would, I don't know what the right word is, not weak, but like loose Christian household. Where, yeah, you went to church, but it's it full-blown free will, <laughs> but just not much theology, right? Just all the usual feel-good stuff. But I, 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 most of my life believed in free will, okay? I thought it was the great answer for all sorts of things, and look, I've been there and done that. Um, but this, you know, as far as naturalistic determinism goes, um, I don't want to get myself in trouble when I say this, and I'm not putting this on other Calvinists, but as I've already openly admitted, I take a very strict cause-and-effect view of creation. I think it's... I think it's a coherent that it is the coherent way that God is bringing creation about step by step. There's a when it comes to naturalistic determinism. Look, I might have something in common with them, but let me tell you something. God isn't one of them, right? So they look out and they see cause and effect, and they have concluded that all the things involved in that are self-existent, self-sustained things that have either just always existed or started at some sort of big bang. I look out at that same cause and effect, right? That same reality. And I see the cause and effect, but I understand that God is behind it all. God's power. The reason things are the way they are. The reason there is a coherency. The reason there is a regularity is because God's power is causing those things to function in those ways. And I would love to also ask, why wouldn't the same hold true for the quote-unquote spiritual, non-physical, whatever words you want to use, realm, right? I, I don't think Drew would disagree that as we swing dead cats out into the world, there's all sorts of determinism occurring amongst at least the physical reality that surrounds us. But why wouldn't that also be the case? Why wouldn't everything happens for a reason also be true of the finite spiritual non-physical realm? Something I, I would also ask. I determinism. And so, um, so he says, no... God created all things that are involved in your choices, some of which you just listed off, and he causes those things to function in particular ways. So this communicates to me that he's saying he created all these things and he's caused them to, to function in particular ways, i.e. deterministic ways, and that's... Um, but I, again, I hope you don't... That's what he's saying here. So. I hope you don't... I'm trying to explain my view. I hope you don't understand that as God wound it up and let it go. And it's just deterministically, like again, like a semi-deistic view of he winds up the clock and it runs in a predetermined way. That is way out, out of what I'm actually getting at. And I hope that our recent discussions on God as the sustainer of all things brings that out more clearly than maybe this, this particular tweet thread did. Okay, Because I believe that God is hands-on, metaphysically, as the transcendent sustainer. He is hands-on of all of his creation all of the time. Okay, 
and we can get into all sorts of, well, if that's true, then what about this and that? And again, if you want the most exhaustive thing I've done on that so far, check out the episode, Is God the Author of Sin and Evil? Uh, I don't think a lot of Calvinists are too happy with, with me about that episode because I sort of say, yeah, he is. If you go with a simple basic definition of author, but anyways. So I said that last sentence. So here, he then causes those things to function in particular ways, which, which would describe or observe as the laws of nature. And I said that last sentence is just stating your position, but it's not an argument against free will. In other words, you can't just state your position and then expect that to be an argument against my position. That's true. Uh, but you asked me a question. I gave an answer from my view. And I said, if I'm not causing slash creating my choices out of nothing, how is self-determinism regarding my choices logically incoherent again? So I wanted to understand if you if you acknowledge that I'm not creating these out of nothing and that and that I, I agree only God can do that. And I'm not actually doing that. Right. I'm, I'm, I have my mind. I have influences. I have words. I have letters. I have different languages that I can speak to uh, communicate these different things. I have an imagination so on, so on and so forth. Keep, keep going on and on and on. So I said, how is it, how is it not logically coherent? Well, partly because of the things you just listed. You just listed off things that you are contingent upon. In other words, when it comes to choosing something or saying something, you can only say what you know to say, right? You're, you're contingent upon a finite, upon finite things. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go on to say, in response to that very question here, I say because you're a finite being, you're surrounded by cause and effect, and you're claiming to be an unmoved mover. This makes no logical sense. You do not transcend created reality. You are, you are a part of it. God is the only unmoved mover, and he is such precisely because he is uncaused. So I'm not claiming to be an unmoved mover. <laughs> I'm claiming to be an uncaused mover. <laughs> I, I, saw, I see those as identical statements, right? You claim to be an uncaused cause of your choices. You claim to be the first mover of your movements. So I, I think you just put forth a contradiction there. And, and maybe you could explain that to me at some point. Um, so he says, this makes no logical sense. You do not transcend created reality. You are a part of it. It is the, the only unmoved mover. And he is such precisely because he is uncaused. So here, this is why I found this conversation so interesting. It's because he's come back to this, this phrase, reality. You do not transcend created reality. And when he says created reality, he means determinism. <laughs> so he says, you can't self-determine your own choices because determinism is true. Because reality is just a chain of cause and effect. And you're part of that cause and effect. So you can't just break that chain and then cause some of your own choices. But I'm not arguing that choices can come up randomly, that they do. I'm saying that I have certain faculties and that I can self-determine or create my own choices, not out of nothing, but I am uh, causing the choice to actualize, if you will. But why, Drew? Again, I, you have to go back and ask that why question. Even I can say I cause my choices, but why do I cause my choices? Why do I want what I want? I keep going backwards and answering those questions because I'm not afraid to appeal to previous causes. But you want to maintain that there's a stopping point. And so the why question at some point as I already pointed out, either creates an infinite loop, regress, or you just have to stop it and say, because that's the way it is. You did it because you did it. You chose it because you chose it. You wanted it because you wanted it. And you don't have to answer the why question anymore. And so then I said here, I didn't claim to be an unmoved mover. <laughs> that's God, sort of. I won't explain why sort of, but that kind of gets into the whole Augustinian. God is completely immovable, which I think is error. But I didn't claim to be an unmoved mover. That's God. And then I said, I cause my own choices 
is not the same thing as saying I transcend created reality. But again, Drew, if everything happens for a reason in this reality, if everything else or outside of you that you point at is happening for a reason, then you don't get to be the first mover or first cause, right? And then he says, but it does. You claim that particular clauses that clash with you are merely influences and have a stopping point. They exactly. cease having causative power of you. This is literally transcending reality. So again, this is... Andrew, how's this for a question? Does God transcend reality in your view? Well, of course he does, right? What does it mean for God to transcend reality if it doesn't mean that he is not contingent upon and bound by the cause and effect that everything happens for a reason aspect of this reality? Like, can you articulate for me what it means for God to transcend reality if it's not the very thing that you're wanting to claim for yourself as a finite creature within that reality? I found this conversation so interesting because he keeps talking about transcending reality or transcending reality. But when he says you're, you're literally transcending reality, he's assuming that reality is deterministic. And that's the very thing that's up for conversation here. That's up for debate. That's, that's true. And again, you've asked for evidence. I point to the reality. It, look, if, if, if the only things I can point at in reality are deterministic, I, like I'm, I don't understand why you're so surprised that, that I start talking this way, right? But this is important because you do believe that there are things that are merely influences and have a stopping point. You believe that there are chains of causes and effects that end and that that start, right? That's what you believe. So can you just give me an example, right? And so they cease having causative power of you. So he's assuming everything is caused by prior causes. So you, with your background of, and if determinism is true, there's no such thing as influences, by the way. So I can't even use that word. But, but that's the thing, Drew. There certainly is such a thing as influences in a deterministic worldview. It, and I pointed this out on my episode on that very topic. And that is that you're just looking at it with the wrong connection. You're assuming you're drawing a straight line from the influence to the final choice. And you're just concluding, well, here's something that tried to influence me. But since I didn't give into it, it wasn't determinative. But what I'm pointing out is that the influence still caused you, unavoidably, it caused you to be placed in a situation of choosing, of having the choice to either give in or not give in, right? So the influence did have a determinative causal effect on you when you actually zoom out and follow it, uh, trace it back far enough, right? That influence caused you to be in the position of making the choice, to give in or not give in, and therefore that's when the, the deliberation ensues and you can start talking about past experience, current state of mind, how much you know, how smart you are, all that good stuff, which will then result in a final decision to either give in or not give in. But don't look at just the final not giving in and conclude, therefore, it, you know, it was an influence. Again, I would ask you, how can you call something an influence if it didn't have any influence on you? Actual influence, right? What you're really saying is it was potentially influential, but you can't call it an influence if it did influence you, right? <laughs> or at least that's as far as I see it. But I covered that that more importantly in my episode titled Influences and Determinism versus Free Will. And I also pointed out that even when you resist an influence, you're still placed in the position of choosing whether or not to give into that influence by the influence. So the influence still influenced you, <laughs> just not in the way you're thinking because you're not looking at the big picture. You're not tracing the causes all the way back. And that's a long story short. But if you, with your background and all of the choices that you made, all of your parents' choices, your relatives' choices, your circumstances, your upbringing, stuff like that, at the moment of any given choice, you can only make one choice. 
which is according to compatibilism, according to determinism, theistic determinism, it's your highest desire. It's what you most want to do. You will Correct. only choose that one thing every single time. Yes. And I argued, I did uh, choosing according to your greatest desire, entire episode on that. And I argued very clearly that if a choice is truly free, the freest choice you can be making, the freest action you can be taking is acting on your greatest desire. Anything less than your greatest desire is by definition less than a free choice. Okay. And I would ask you to explain how you can be choosing according to your, your less than greatest desire and it still be a free choice. I want you to explain that to me. And I also want you to explain how you can pretend to acknowledge that there are rankings of desires, like you've got your greatest and then your second greatest and third, and then you've got the least greatest, right? In any particular choice. Why are you pointing out that there's a ranking there if you don't believe that rank actually matters, right? Your free will comes along and just chooses which desire to act on. So why does it matter if one was first and one was last? It doesn't, right? It's, it's literally irrelevant to your point. But you have to talk about it because we all know that we have greatest and less lesser greatest desires in, in all these circumstances, right? So it's a fact of reality that you have to recognize, but then you come along and say that it actually doesn't matter if you had a greatest desire because you can act on a less than greatest desire. And it just makes it completely irrelevant, right? So this is why in, in my response to Leighton, I, I said, why are you telling me about all the reasons you did something? If you don't believe that those reasons were actually the reason you did it. In other words, if they weren't determinative reasons, that's a redundant phrase by definition, but I use it for emphasis because there's people who don't think that reasons are determinative. If you don't think the reasons you did something were determinative reasons, why are you telling me about it? Why do I care? Why don't you just say, because I did it because of free will. Why, why, do you, why do I care that you ate that cake because it tasted good or you were in the mood for it or you really wanted it? That's irrelevant if, free, if libertarian free will is true according to your own claims, that those things are just influences, right? And and I'm going to regret going so long with this, but hey, I haven't done an episode in forever. You guys are going to have to take it. <laughs> but so much of this I've covered in past episodes. I, I, I just, you guys got to check them out. And the libertarian position is that no, you can either choose to do it or refrain from doing it in most cases. None. And yet you never answer the why you would have done one or the other question. Why would you have refrained or why would you have done it? Right. And you know, you can't give a reason because as soon as you do, you admit determinism and lose the debate. That's the whole irony in this, in this whole debate is as soon as I ask you why you did something and what would have had to have been different in order for you to have done the other thing, you have to admit that something about the situation would have had to have been different. Why did you choose A over B? Because you wanted A over B. Okay. So what would have had to have been different about that situation for you to have chosen B? You would have wanted, you would have had to have wanted to choose B. That's a different situation. That's admitting determinism. That's admitting that the situation is determinative of the choice. And in order to have a different choice, ultimately, you would have had to change something about the situation. And you just, you just ask that why question over and over, and you're going to tie them up every single time. And they're either going to, they're going to do two things, three things, I guess. Now that I, now that I think about it, they're either going to point to God, right? Oh, God has free will, which again is a logical fallacy. Because God's eternal and you're not. Or they're going to commit the infinite regress, which nobody ever really does. What they mostly do is either appeal to God or do a full stop and say, I, I just don't have to answer that question anymore. Right. And, and, and that this, this demonstrates like you're wondering, Drew, why, why do I consider your, your, your view of self-determinism illogical? It's for these very reasons. Right. 
When I ask you why you would have wanted to do the other thing, since you can't say, because something caused me to want it, you think you caused yourself to want it, you just, you're just going to say because me, right? Which is a circular answer. I'm asking you why you would have wanted it, and you're saying because I would have wanted it. It's just, it demonstrates why I consider it to not be a logical possibility in this entire debate. And so this is kind of where my frustration starts to settle in. And I say, this is beginning to be very difficult to unpack. Okay. And I said, a cause cannot be an influence by definition. Now, again, we'll check the definition of influence. And it just depends if you're talking about noun or verb. Do you have an influence on something or not? And I just want to know, how can you call something that doesn't have an influence on you an influence? That's what I want to know. And if you say, well, it, it had the capacity, again, the definition, the capacity to have an effect, right? It was potentially influential then. But, but the last part of the definition actually also says, or it's the effect itself, right? The effect itself. So there can be a cause and effect understanding of influence as well. So to say that it's not by definition, and the cause is not by definition an influence, um, I think is just wrong by the very definition itself. So a cause is a cause is a cause. But you can't just assume that everything is a cause in this conversation. In other words, you can't assume that everything has a, a cause that exists beyond or outside of itself in terms of especially an agent's free decisions. Well, <laughs> you mean only an agent's free decisions because you've already admitted everything happens for a reason, which means there's something beyond itself, right? But you want to say there's one special case called self-determinism where you are the first reason, right? And this is, if you disagree with what I'm saying, Drew, if you think it's a misrepresentation, walk me through it. If you are the reason you did something, then what was the reason for you being a reason? You've got two choices. Either there wasn't a reason for you being a reason, or there was a reason. It was just not a determinative reason, which is a contradiction of the definition of the word. Because cause and reason are interchangeable, right? So again, you got to help me by walking me through what you mean by that. You can't assume that everything is a cause in this conversation because that's what we're seeking to establish. And then I said, I think the problem is that when you say transcend reality, you mean a deterministic reality. And if determinism were true, you'd be correct. But this, this is the very thing you're seeking to establish. So you can't assume it and say, I'm effectively transcending determinism. And again, the only things I can point at in this reality are determinism. So you'll just have to forgive me for assuming so far, at least, that that's all there is. If you want to convince me that there's more than that, that's 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 your job, not mine. And by the way, guys, even though, as I said, I, I had a very scientific sort of evidence idea stuck in my mind with this Twitter thread, I want Drew to know that, that I'll take any kind of, of evidence for self-determinism, right? I think we can both agree you can't point out, quote-unquote, into the, the world that you can touch and, and demonstrate it. I mean, I think you'd, you'd admit that. That evidence isn't there. But I'll, I'll take any kind of evidence— and I've heard arguments, I've seen the Bible verses, but, you know, none of those things were sort of given from you in this thread, I think, because you were so focused on just playing the I'm going to ask questions game, right? And that's why I just think it's better to just treat it as a normal discussion and just go back and forth. And when, when you have a claim and it shifts back, well, provide some evidence, but you didn't give any. And so then uh, this was pretty much the end of the conversation and... Uh, he says, yes, I point to the reality that surrounds us as proof of determinism because determinism is all there is. So in this whole conversation, 
it was like we were trying to have a conversation about burden of proof for who can demonstrate that their theory of reality, if you will, or, or theory of human freedom really is true. And then he was just saying, yeah, determinism is all that exists. And so it seems to me as though he was not really open to evidence that contradicted his opinion. Now, that last part, uh, I've just got to be nice about this, but I, I, I almost like tripped and fell and killed myself because listen to this again. It seems to me as though he was not really open to evidence that contradicted his opinion. I don't know how anybody could read that threat and conclude that I'm the one who isn't open to evidence that contradicts my opinion. I'm the only one who gave any evidence in this conversation at all, because I'm the only one that has evidence to point to, right? And I encourage, this is why I wanted to do this episode, right? I encourage everybody to check that thread and to see where Drew said, did anything beyond making claims in this, in this entire discussion. There was no evidence from Drew at all. It was, well, uh, why can't self-determination be true? Uh, why can't God create me with this way? You need to demonstrate that it's logically impossible for self-determination to be true. There was zero evidence from, coming from Drew. So when he says that I'm the one who's unwilling, like, I'm begging you, dude. Like, give me some evidence, please. I'm, I'm sitting here begging you, right? I'm swinging dead cats. I'm hitting determinism. Can you find that, that shiny gem of self-determinism hidden under that rock somewhere out there in the universe and just, like, show it to me? And look, you do that, I, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not a Calvinist anymore. Uh, libertarian free will is a thing. Like, the, 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 the debate is over if you can do that. So this is a, again, this kind of comes back to that, how to talk to a Calvinist. This is a common tactic online, is that he thinks that he can make a claim that reality is deterministic and that he doesn't have to support that claim. And while I understand where he's coming from, I, he has not, he did not demonstrate in this conversation that our choices cannot be self-determined. I don't have to demonstrate that, dude. That's your job. Your job is to demonstrate that they can be. And as we showed... Now listen, as, as you showed, what did you show? Just because I'm determining my own choices, I'm creating my own choices, if you will. That's a claim. I'm not creating them out of nothing, as he claimed. So it has nothing about being an, a finite being. You, but you didn't explain like what you mean by that. Like, you didn't explain what it means to be a first cause, how that, what that looks like in time, uh, you know, your relationship to things around you. You sort of said, well, they're, they're there and I sort of use them when I want and... You didn't show anything, man. You just claimed it, right? And then when you say I'm transcending reality and you assume that that reality is deterministic, then we're just back to square one. Then we're saying, well, I don't just assume it, right? It's what I can see. It's what I look at. It's the only things I can see. You're actually the one that is assuming that reality is or contains self-determinism. That's your unjustified, unproven assumption, not mine then prove to me that reality is deterministic. And then he says, well, what do I have to, how can I possibly prove to you the fact of the matter? So it was a really difficult kind of frustration. So, and again, you never once in this conversation on Twitter or in your episode here, okay, you didn't tell me how I could convince you of my position. I'm still waiting on that answer. How could I convince you of my position? If the reality that surrounds us isn't enough evidence to convince you, the biblical and logical arguments that Calvinists like myself make on a constant basis aren't enough to convince you. What would convince you? See, I can sit here comfortably and say, I would be convinced by you if you just gave me some evidence of self-determinism. First causation, right? Just, just point it out 
and the debate's over. But you can't, right? And then, um, yeah, this is a good question. Jacob says, just ask him how he knows he was determined to believe the correct thing. That would be a, that might be a good question. How do you know that you are determined to believe the correct thing, Colin? So I don't really see why people place so much weight to this type of question. How do you know that God determined you to believe what's true? How, what if he determined you to believe what's false? That's like, I determine whether I'm believing, you know, whether I know the truth the same way you do. Whether or not God determined that, I don't know the future, so I can only know the present and the past, right? So it's like asking, how do I know that God determined that it rained yesterday? Well, did it rain? <laughs> okay, it did. Same thing, like, now, I, I believe a particular thing. I have to determine whether or not it's true. If it is true, and I'm believing it's true, then God determined that I believe it's true. And I just, so I just don't really understand that question much. Maybe I'm not thinking about it, I'm thinking about it on the fly and not like, there's got to be something I'm missing there, so maybe Drew can sort of expand on that. But it's also, to me, sort of asking, like, uh, I, I don't know Drew's... You know, I know one of the provisions perspective guys is sort of open theist-ish, if not full-on. It might be Drew. I think it is Drew. But for most other people, it's sort of, to me, it's sort of like asking, well, God creates you in a particular way, knowing you're going to end up, for example, in heaven or hell, right? And so it's like asking them, how do you know that God didn't create you in one of the ways you end up in hell? Dun-dun-dun! Like, um... Well, you got to wait and see what happens, right? And then you'll know whether God created you in such a way that X, Y, or Z. So it's just like, I, I don't really put much weight to those types of questions. I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm just, that's the way I see it. Because determinism, theistic determinism, doesn't necessarily mean that God is determining you to believe the truth, as you would, as you would say about me, that we don't believe the truth, but that God has determined us to believe this. Michael says, amazing. Earlier he said random or determined on what third option did he miss? Why presuppose that there are only three ways forward? I may not agree with most of them, but there's more than three options. Yeah, so so he even says that there's, he even seemed to think that there was only random or determined. And he seemed to think determined means determinism, which excludes self-determinism. Okay, and I'll, I'll try to end with, with, with this point. Self-determinism means that you determined your choice. Okay, no, no question there. Right. But what determined you to determine your choice? And your answer is either one, nothing or two, you, which is circular. OK, so again, if everything happens for a reason and you agreed with that at the beginning of this, then I should be asking what determined you to determine your choice, because you determining your choice is something that happened and it needs a reason. Um, and then he was excluding that from a third from a third option there. Um, so. So, you know, again, n notice that I reject self-determinism in a finite reality because it's illogical. I, I suppose there's other ways I could go about doing it that I didn't do it here. Uh, I was mainly just trying to talk to Drew, go through this and respond to Drew. Uh, it's not meant, this is not meant as some sort of exhaustive, like ABC one, two, three, like here's why it's false type of thing. It's more of an interaction, but I reject self-determinism in a finite reality because it's illogical. I've never once seen someone demonstrate that determinism is illogical, right? I have reasons for rejecting self-determinism. I have logical reasons for doing that. I've, I've never seen someone demonstrate a logical reason to reject det determinism, right? I've seen lots, lots of emotional reasons, lots, lots of, you know, but ne never an actual logical reason. Like, determinism is illogical because X, Y, and Z, right? Like, it just can't be done, in my opinion. I've never seen it done. The best they've got is, well, if it were true then this, you know, X, Y, and Z, emotional, insert emotional thing, right? If determinism were true, then blah, blah, blah. But 
where are all the logical arguments demonstrating determinism isn't true? Okay, There aren't any, because determinism is something that everybody is stuck with. So Drew can't deny determinism because it's a fact of reality. So instead, we, what he has to say is, yeah, but determinism isn't all that there is, right? There's this other thing called self-determinism, because I say so, that somehow is able to be mixed in with determinism and then pretend like there's no logical problems. And, and, and that's why it's funny how I want to grant that God has self, is self-determinism, that self-determinism works in, a, in, a, in the eternal realm, the eternal infinite reality of God's existence. It works there. And in the same way that trying to fit determinism into God's eternal you know, existence is illogical and it just doesn't work. You can't mix self-determinism of God with determinism, right? You can't mix it. But th- the same holds true going the other way. You can't take God's self-determinism and try to fit that down and mix it into and give it to man and mix it into the deterministic worldview of God's finite creation, right? I just like to end here with, with my final tweet uh, where I said, the burden is not on me to prove that we are not part of that deterministic reality. The burden is on you to prove that you are a special exception from that reality. And I think that this this exchange even could have been you know more in-depth in, in, in a bunch of different areas. But I just think as a general matter of speaking, um, my, my own personal feeling is that I was trying to, you know, at least give evidence. Again, my, my mind, unfortunately, in this thread, because of that word, evidence was locked in the very scientific point out in the world type of type of thing. And so I hope that some of the, you know, some of the syllogisms and logical points that I've expounded upon in this episode have sort of helped to just, you know, show that Calvinists aren't just using pure claim. I know on Twitter, right? It can seem that way at, from time to time, but um, we do have scientific, biblical, philosophical, whatever whatever word you want to use. We do have evidence for our position, and it's you know again, it's my opinion that when I look at the self determinist you know, libertarian free will position, they are severely lacking in such evidence. I see all sorts of logical problems. I see all sorts of biblical problems, and I see literally zero evidence in the scientific realm as we look out into this quote-unquote you know reality and creation so we threw the burden of proof back and forth a little bit and uh i'm not a professional logician so i don't know exactly who was breaking rules and who wasn't i'm sure i broke several rules i'm not going to say i didn't but anyways so this this went way way longer than i thought i could uh i couldn't remember how long uh i had this chopped up and listened through it and a couple notes here and there but it's been a while since I put one out. I hope Drew, like, I'm half and half word. I hope Drew appreciates that I would take the time to do it. But I also understand that it's annoying to have somebody come back with, like, a two-hour episode. And it's like, you expect me to respond to that, dude? It's like, no, I don't. Um, by all means, chop this up however much you want. Uh, I do not expect you to go through this episode and, and make a response. I really don't. Um, just grab a couple points. If you do want to make an episode, grab a couple important points and... Uh, you know, otherwise this goes on forever and each one gets longer. Um, I just, I enjoyed this, uh, this response because I felt like that you said a lot of things that I, I needed to respond to. A lot of my longer episodes, they're longer because there's just points that I want to make. So I want to thank Drew once again for his response. I hope he appreciates mine. I know he probably sounds a lot nicer than I do and it's nothing against Drew. I just get a little worked up sometimes, a little, a little passionate when I start ranting and I hit that record button. I hope Drew doesn't take that the wrong way. And we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, I have no clue when the next episode's coming. Uh, 
I'm done making predictions. I'm done saying, oh, maybe. No, I have no idea. It might be another three months. I hope not. But um, I'm probably, unless Drew comes back right away with something, um, I'm probably going to go back to the Leighton Flowers uh, series of uh, provisionism. The vagueness of provisionism is where we'll be returning to. So I hope you guys uh, found this a little entertaining. I hope this determinism discussion doesn't get too old for you guys. If it does, hit me up in the comments or on Twitter. you got to let me know what you guys think about this sorts of stuff. I know some of you have, and you've recommended other people to respond to, and, and I hope that someday I can get around to it. I don't want you to think I'm ignoring you, okay? So I, I appreciate recommendations, and, and I, you know, I appreciate all that stuff. Hopefully the day comes when I'm less busy and more of this stuff can get put out. So once again, you guys take it easy, and remember to stay consistent, my friends. Mm-hmm.